Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 93 of the Live Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. And I uh, brought back my friend, Lee Boyce, today. Lee's been a frequent previous guest. And uh, if you're not super familiar with Lee, uh, one of the things that stands out about Lee is he is one of the most prolific writers in the fitness industry. He's pretty much written for every publication imaginable, including, if I'm remember, remembering this right, the what is it? You wrote for the Wall Street Journal, didn't you? Or is it the New York Times? I keep screwing uh, up. It was the Wall Street Journal. It was the Wall Street Journal. I uh, I was featured in there a couple years back now. Exactly, right? So, so sorry, I got that one confused. I'm like, I've said this one before and I've gotten it right. Uh, you're obviously a well-known presenter speaker at fitness conferences. You know, I, you and I have hung out at numerous of these events and you're an adjunct professor at uh, a, uh, I guess it's a college in Toronto, right? That yeah. is correct. Good. And I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg with your, your career. And one of the things I actually really like the idea of is you're still a really young guy, despite a legacy of doing all this stuff. You're quite a bit younger than me. And you started your career young and you started writing for Teen Nation in particular, quite young. And we, our industry, you know, people in our industry definitely like to gatekeep things, right? People have already done it or, or kind of did the old way. And what would you say to young new coaches, because not all new coaches are young, who have ambitions about any aspect of brand growth, whether it's writing or stepping into other forms of media, what would your advice be based on your experience about you know, putting yourself out there early in your career? Are there any prerequisites that you think are still important? Is there any advice you have for them? Um, maybe just respecting the fact that things take time to happen, and they might take less time now than they did 15 years ago, but they still take time in an age that we're in now where social media seems to be the dominant driving force for a lot of information being spread. Um, there are certain avenues or vehicles that might have gotten you more. I don't know what word to use, I guess, more mainstream reach. Um, that's a little bit more solid or stickier compared to today where it's a little bit more finicky and it's a little bit more um, fickle, I guess. Um, but it lasts longer, right? And so, whereas writing for a print magazine, for example, or having your stuff on the shelves somewhere, or having uh, your stuff in an article where everybody's swarming this particular website to see what's new, that's now considered, you know, less of a thing compared to having a big in Instagram uh, audience, right? Or to having reels that you put up on Facebook or IG or on YouTube or whatnot where people are looking for information, and it might still be good information, but the information is much quicker consuming. Um, it might much more easily forgotten as well. And um, yeah, it's just a shorter duration for a short attention span. And when people like, okay, let me put it this way. Like, uh, I, I, I sort of get a little bit, I don't want to say put off, but I sort of get a little bit, you know, not feeling as happy as I could when somebody recognizes me on the street or at a gym or I remember at the movie theater or whatever, and they will say hello and they say they, they love my Instagram content, you know, and that's what the first thing is that they, they know me for because everyone goes to Instagram and they're going to click on stuff. They're going to pass through people's content and whatnot. And that's about it. But it's like, well, I mean, I don't want to be known for one minute video clips. I don't want to be known for little, you know, little things that I put up on Instagram when I have like, 2000 word articles like that are here, there and everywhere. That's what the real stuff is. I want to be known for what my job really is, not just some kind of, a, of a, um, you know, an, a social media presence. And, you know, all of that is just to say that for a younger trainer who's looking to, you know, get legit, 
there are so many Instagram accounts with gigantic uh, numbers, right? There's, there's endless amounts of people who have a gigantic numbers for whatever reason. They could have even bought those numbers. Regardless of that, like just knowing that that's the reality out there, what is it that you're going to do on Instagram that's going to set you apart compared to having accomplishments that might be a little bit more uh, tangible, right? Um, if Instagram went down tomorrow, all the magazines and stuff and articles and stuff, they're still there, right? For a lot of people, it's the opposite, where Instagram is their blog, Instagram is their article source, Instagram is their this, their that, and the third, right? So I think that going for the long game approach and going for something that's a little bit more, I guess, sustainable and less fickle and something that is just more evergreen as far as content, even if it's having a good high traffic blog that belongs to you and you're continuously putting out content there so you have an archive of information and you have people's eyes on it and you can be in the eyes of like, you know, editors for different magazines or whatever it is so that they can now reach out to you and look at you as an expert source. Now, those are the things that, you know, I think make a big difference. And I was writing for, I was writing since well before Instagram even existed. You know, I was being published during these times before any of these things were options, right? So I'm used to doing it that way. And, you know, it's funny that you asked this question because two times in the last week, and one of those times was actually this morning, I got a message from somebody asking what I have to do in order to write. I want to get published by magazines and so on. Uh, how do you get into the game like that? I want to do what you've, you've done, basically, as I'm, I'm trying to really learn from this. So I haven't replied to him yet. But what I'm about to say to him is going to be that, like, the first thing we have to recognize is the landscape has really, really changed. It's not the same getting published in 2022 as it was in 2010. And, um, you know, with the rise of all the things that I've just talked about, it really, really holds true. So the approach needs to be a little bit different, but the approach still needs to be one of evergreen style where you're not looking for that quick burst. First and foremost, you're looking for something that's going to build gradually. The following is going to be loyal. It's going to be a good, not fickle way of going about things. And you, you didn't say the words, but you essentially said these things. We're talking about building credibility and authority within the fitness industry, right? And I firm believer that, you know, Instagram is a very valuable tool right now. It is. I don't think it can be or should be the only thing that you have. I think that if we look around at the industry of a lot of the people, especially the people who are the known educators, the, the presenters, the speakers, it's going to be very rare that someone gets speaking engagements simply because of their prowess with social media. Now, sometimes people will speak on that. That's for sure. And I don't think that my social media following didn't help with my public speaking engagements, but it, it was more to do with my relationships and, you know, the fact that I've been writing for a number of these, these publications as well. So I still think that it is a really good idea to figure out the outlet, whether it's video on YouTube or whether it's, uh, whether it's writing or, or podcasting or whatnot, or public speaking, to find the thing that you're most interested in and lean pretty hard into it and then build Instagram concurrently. I think one of the reasons why I've been able to build the social media following that I have, and I think it's true of you as well, is because it's backed up with some credible other accomplishments across our careers, right? I really do think that's a big, big one. Um, and I think in particular, because I remember when you started Instagram, you were late in the game on that one. And you talked about how your Instagram following, which grew fairly quickly early on, how it was really seeded by the people who knew who you were from your legacy of writing, right? And, and, and education in general. 
So that's a really helpful answer. Answer. I really, uh, really like that. You and I think along the same ways. So let's dive a little bit sideways from that. So you do more writing than probably anybody else that I can think of in the industry, right? You present in person. You've been doing some stuff with Good Life here in Canada recently. Um, you know, you speak at big events across North America, at the very least. And you still have your in-person clientele. You know, you're also the professor at the university. How the fuck do you do all this stuff? Uh, and to, the specific question within that is, how do you set boundaries around being able to do all this and, and say no to other things? What do you say no to? Um, well, you know, honestly, one of the things that I don't do as much as before is um, too much like... Um, like lots of like interviews and, and podcasts, to be honest with you. I, funny enough, I made a point in the last, um, I'd say year and a half to severely limit the amount of, um, of these kinds of podcasts that I do to close friends and people who I really, really respect. Um, people that, you know, that I hadn't gotten the chance that I'd been meaning to work with for a long time and, and people who are good friends of mine. And that's the, uh, that's the long and short of it. The amount of like podcast requests that I've said, you know what, um, let's try again later on instead of now, or you know what, I'm just not doing them anymore. It's, um, it's, it's pretty high. It's pretty high these days. So that's one thing that it, it does take up. I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, and I don't want to sound a certain way by saying this, but there's not much more in a lot of cases to gain from doing those kinds of things with everybody, right? Um, a lot of times when people are looking, okay, this is the best example actually that I can think of. If you think about Hollywood and, and um, you think about like the movie industry, I was told by, actually it was by a client who was an actor that I was training, um, said that it's funny because it's just this kind of like cyclical thing where it's either want to be sort of like, um, how do I want to up and coming young actors who are looking to get a land a role with a big director to get their name out there. Or it's up and coming young directors who want to land a great actor to be in their movie to get their name out there. Right. So it's always sort of like one is kind of doing a transaction from the other. Right. And so I find that a lot of times when it comes to like um, this kind of well, this section of the industry as well, many times people might try to have you on like a podcast or an interview or do some kind of a discussion or a call with you or something like that, um, which takes a lot of a person's time a lot of times, you know, they might have to reschedule some stuff or move things away or move things out of the way in order to do the actual, to do the actual engagement. And um, it doesn't really do so much to actually help the, the business of the speaker, the person, but it does a lot to help the, the uh, notoriety or the notability of the person who's interviewing you, right? And so uh, in those cases, like, you do have to, after a while, it's unfortunate, but you do have to, after a while, kind of put your foot down and be like, okay, I'm going to have to set some restrictions on just how many of these I do. Mm -hmm. And for anybody who's listening, just so that it doesn't come across like I'm being very, very, you know, like, wholehearted and, and uh, arrogant, I will say this, I've done... And this is no exaggeration. I've done hundreds of podcasts over the course of the last, God, uh, 10 years, I guess, right? Hundreds of them. I've done so, so many to the point where about five years ago, I stopped posting them on my website in the archive because of how much space they would take up. So I just, there were too many links. So I, uh, I've done so, 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 so many from people who are bigger in prominence, lesser in prominence, and so on and so forth. So I'm speaking strictly from like, experience-based, like this is what I've found with it. And it's, 
there will come a time for anybody who spends enough time doing this and who gets notability doing this and whatnot that uh, they're going to have to, you know, limit the amount of times that uh, they, they go on to go on the air and do a podcast. I'm going to take this and add something to it. That's sort of a flip around of it. So I can't count the number of times that, you know, through interactions with people, I've had either someone directly uh, ask to come on as a guest. And, and that is almost always met with a no. Um, there are very, very specific exceptions to that. But what I always try to point people to is, I know where this is coming from. People think that if I get onto the prominent podcast in the industry, that will mean I've made it, or that means everybody will know about me and I will gain respect, recognition, authority, credibility. It goes back to our first conversation. You build and earn those things through accomplishments like getting your writing out there, whether it's on your own website, like you said, or published, or gaining prominence on media outlets like YouTube, like, like someone like an Omar Isak, who's also from Toronto did, right? Omar really built himself up through YouTube. And so you gain that credibility to the point where people are inviting you to come onto podcasts. It always makes me feel really awkward and a little uncomfortable when someone says, hey, you know, I have a really great story. Can I, can I come on your podcast? And I'm like, ah, um, you know, I don't want to say no to people, but, you know, the answer ultimately is no. And what I turn around and tell people to do is, why don't you start your own podcast? Why don't you build relationships with people who are on the same path and the same journey you're on? And if you do all these other sort of things, it will actually give you what you're really looking for, as opposed to this quick hit that you think is going to all of a sudden validate you when in fact, it won't really make a big difference. There are so many industry podcasts now, way more than ever before. I mean, before, yeah, I found people in the industry through Kevin Larrabee's Fitcast or Danny Lennon's Sigma Nutrition Radio, like the, the ones that were really getting the major circulation. But now there's just so much out there that, I mean, and anybody listening, I'm really grateful you guys have been here for so long. I've got a really good circulation with this podcast, and that means a lot. But I know there's more com competition than ever for everybody's limited time. So, you know, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so, again, I think it bounces back to building the career accomplishment, or as I like to put it, career capital, that ultimately will get people to turn around and go, hey, would you come on my podcast? And I'm still at the stage where, I do try to say yes to them, um, despite the busy schedule. Um, and again, that's something that I still see value in. I will reach a point where I know I will have to turn around and say no. Uh, I get a lot of invitations to you know collaborate with social media stuff. That stuff doesn't interest me at all. I almost overwhelmingly say no to that. And it kind of speaks to what you're saying too. There's usually a disparity. And again, I want to be careful about not sounding, sounding quote, arrogant. There's usually a disparity between, uh, you know, where you are in your career. And I know it's sort of transactional where someone thinks that they'll benefit a lot from doing that. And for me, it's less about that. And it's just about, hey, I just don't have time to do that. I could schedule an Instagram live, which, okay, but then if a client needs that time slot, hey, I have to cancel it uh, because a client takes precedence over an IG live, which is usually about 50, maybe 20 minutes. And even then the IG live is not archivable like even a podcast appearance is. So it's just an example of something. And then, you know, I certainly don't do collaboration, collaborational posts with almost anybody on social media because that stuff actually can wreck <laughs> algorithm engagement. It's actually that simple, right? So very, very careful about that. And it boils so, down to just limited time and resources and getting comfortable 
politely saying no to asks of your time. Now, one more point. If you're going to turn around and ask something of someone's time, make sure that you're actually doing something that's very beneficial to them. Because if it's really a transparent that benefits, transparent attempt to benefit you and not the other person, then that person's probably going to say no. And don't yeah, that's, and, uh, that's a really big part. That's a really, yeah. really big uh, factor there that I was going to sort of touch on um, a couple minutes ago. And that is um, basically when it comes to like the, this can kind of be summed up in a way of just saying like you can't ask for handouts, right? And when somebody sees that you being on their podcast is going to be a bigger deal for them than it's going to be for you or a more important thing for them than it's going to be for you. And this is not, it's, it's more transactional rather than it's an exchange. Then, you know, usually the person can see right through it. Right. And don't get me wrong. Like I'm sure that you, me, all of us have had our moments where we do, we have gone that route or we have seen, try to find that personal gain out of something or whatever it is, you know? Um, oh, I want to be on this because it's a big deal because I'll get a lot of views from it because it'll launch this or that for me. It'll, make me see be more visible and get me a whole bunch more uh, audience members, whatever. And so like, there's definitely um, many people have had that, but you can usually tell who repeated, repeatedly have this sort of uh, a mindset toward things. And um, yeah, especially if like, you know, when, when you get a person who asks you to be on their podcast or whatnot, and then you search in your notifications on Instagram and you see that they literally just followed you, you know, like just something like that, where I'm kind of just like, okay, I mean, you know, you have like 300 people on your audience and you just hit the follow button for me and saying that you love all of my content and you love this and that. Like, I mean, you could be honest and say you just discovered me and you'd love to talk, but usually it's not that. Usually they try to say something different about it and make it seem like they've been like long time listeners, watchers, viewers, and, and like readers of your work. And so to me, like that sort of thing, I don't really like. And um, yeah, just for that reason, like I've definitely limited my amounts of, uh, of engagements like that. And I just, I don't have too much time based on all the different hats that I'm sort of wearing right now. And uh, it does take a lot of time management. And sometimes I learned that the hard way. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's actually perfect because one of the other things I was going to ask you about, it literally bleeds into this flawlessly. So, you know, you, you talk about how you barely do any of these podcasts except for friends and, and whatnot. So here's a little bit of background about how you and I know each other. It's kind of a story that feeds into the last topic. So I've been reading your stuff on T Nation, like I've been reading most of that generation for a really long time as I came up as a trainer. And then I remember I wanted to follow your Facebook. This would have been years ago, but you'd had a sort of a, you didn't have the follow options. I sent you a friend request. You accepted. Great. So then I, you know, you'd post your articles there and I could, you know, get them kind of in real time and interact you know, a little bit, little bit of interaction. And then I can't remember what happened first, but I'm fairly sure I'd invited you on the podcast. Now, by this point, you know, I've got you on social media, we've interacted a little bit, I've shared and supported your stuff. So you, you knew who I was. So had you on the podcast. But then not long after that, you know, we were, you were speaking at the Kansas City Fitness Summit in May of 2019. So you'd already been a guest, so we'd already interacted. So we hung out there. First thing, you see me, you're like, lean over, like, yo, bro, give me your phone number. Like, I remember that. And then we were already in talks of having you as one of the speakers. It was already planned at our event here in Edmonton at the uh, Evolved Canadian Strength Symposium in September of 2019. So 
you're one of the speakers there. We got to hang out there. You know, I think I don't remember. I think there was like one other event that we hung. Oh yeah, of course, raise the bar in in February this past year. And you've been a guest multiple times. You know, I've shared and supported your media on my media. And concurrently, I've also started writing for some of the same publications you do, not all, because that's a huge list, and done all these things to kind of raise my profile to where it's like, okay, cool. So there's actually a, a lot of relationship that's built over time. And that wasn't a, you know, hey, last week, hey, Lee, I just followed you. I want you to come on the podcast. Right. So I, it gives people a window into this stuff. And I'm big on, and this is kind of where I'll let you describe it. You know, these relationships across the industry, you know, and I'll, I'll plant another one. You, you met Melody Schoenfeld at some, uh, I think it was probably the Kansas City Fitness Summit. And you guys actually talked about some of the same stuff. You did some stuff on isometrics. And I'm sure that spurred a conversation that led to the book. So, you know, any, anything to say about the way that those relationships have materialized in your career and the value they they are to you? Yeah, like they're organic. And the one thing that's important about them is that they're real. And it doesn't have an agenda that's behind it all the time. Like every single one of those relationships, you, you name it, they, they don't have an agenda behind them. You know, and they could be something where at some point you do ask, hey, well, how about if I work with you on this project or I work with you on this magazine or I work with you in, um, you know, doing a collaborative effort for something, whatever it is, right? But that question didn't come out first. That question came after you realized that A, you get along and B, that you have things in common and so on and that you can actually think along the same lines so that you can be, be friends with one another before you do anything else, friends and colleagues. And then from there, you guys are both just as interested in one another's like to work with one another, right? And it's not just a one-way thing. So relationships are going to be the bread and butter of pretty much everything in the fitness industry, if you want me to be honest. Word of mouth referral is coming from a client that you've already worked with who had a good relationship with you and probably saw some decent results with you too, or maybe they didn't, but they just had a great relationship with you and they believe in you. And so then they support you by talking to their friends about it as well right? Um, any sort of thing, even writing for all the different places that I've written for, it started with T Nation, then from T Nation, Men's Health came rolling around, and then Men's Health turned into Muscle Mag and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you get introduced from one editor who really liked your work and who really had a good relationship with you to another editor, and so on. Or when one editor leaves, because this, let's put this out there, is that for a lot of different um, uh, publications, the, the turnover of editors is like a Starbucks, right? It's not, it's very, 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 very quick to switch and flip up and so on, where all of a sudden one person is gone or the management of the entire magazine changes or the magazine goes down and it goes all digital or whatever have you. So that is something to consider as well. So when you have one relationship with an editor or you've written for an editor for a long time or for like, you know, a year long span or something and then they go, A, will you be grandfathered over to the next editor who takes their place? That's number one, because, you know, sometimes they don't, sometimes they do. Other thing is, um, will you follow that editor to their next endeavor if they become an editor for a different magazine, right? So again, so much depends on relationships. And uh, even when you even mention to an editor when you are blind messaging them and saying, yeah, my referral or I previously worked with this person who they might know by name, well, that relationship now plays in and factors in too, right? So all of that is just to say that relationships are king. They're the pinnacle as far as how you're going to move forward this industry. Um, when people see, and listen, I'm not like any sort of celebrity trainer by any means, but I've had a couple of people who are of fair prominence who I've worked with over the course of time. And whenever I do have, you know, any sort of 
update or post or picture or whatever that I post about it, um, you know, people, people will often make the mistake of thinking like, um, yeah, like this person, like that Cal Penn was just scrolling through social media or looking all over the place for the best trader. And he was just had his nose buried in the books to find, no, that's not how it worked. And then he chose me. Well, I mean, that's a flattering thought. And it doesn't mean that it invalidates my capabilities as a trainer, but let's be honest. Another actor who I worked with first introduced me to his circle of friends, one of whom was Cal Penn, who happened to be in Toronto at the time, who happened to be able to be working with a trainer, who wanted to work with a trainer at the time because he was working on a role, right? And so from there, relationship is built. The relationship helped me get Cal. And then on top of that, working with Cal, now relationships built where hopefully I work with Cal again and again whenever he's in Toronto, right? So these are how those kinds of things happen. And that that first actor who introduced me to Cal, he was introduced by another trainer who was out in Montreal. And so that person couldn't work with someone in Toronto. So it was like, okay, I have a good relationship with this guy, Lee, and Lee is a trainer that I trust. I want to send him there if he's going to work with anyone in Toronto. So that's it. So when people think that it's like, there's no, and this is a really big point that I want to make. When people think that like big accomplishments and a lot of like big stuff, whatever it is, working with actors, working with pro athletes, um, writing for big places and getting featured on this TV show or whatever it is. You know, when people think that all of those things happen with, with no help, with no something to, like you had to know someone or something like that, we're often quick to look down our noses at that kind of thing. And there's a, there's a version of that that you can look down your nose at where you're faking it till you make it or something. But for most people, whoever you're seeing on television, whoever you're seeing with the big gigs, whoever you're seeing working with these people in and out of fitness, whatever it is, a lot of times it's about who you know. It's about having good relationships. It's about a network. It's about all of those things. And on top of it as well, like if you're a real legit good quality coach who's really on their hustle, they're on their grind, they're putting their nose to the grindstone every day, then it's not like those connections come about by chance, right? You're not just right place, right time. You had to work really hard to be in that right place for years to get into that right place at the right time to have things line up like that. So it's a long, long story behind that works your way up into getting that break. We call it a break, right? You get that break that allows you to have a wonderful opportunity. And so don't apply luck to it. Don't apply, oh, he was just the person that happened to be there. Well, no, there's a long story behind this, that, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's worth mentioning that, A, we should kind of normalize the idea that when, when people are in really big places in fitness or in whatever industry, like they, their hustle was a solo grind, but the actual thing, that takes more people than just one in order for it to happen. And uh, that is a product of all the hard work that you've done up to that point. It'll always be. All of my speaking engagements are because of relationships. I like to point this one out. You know, I got to speak last year at the Inland Empire Fitness Conference. I'm there again this year. Uh, and I got to speak at the local NSCA this year. I met both of the guys who run those, my friends Tim Arndt and Jeff Aker, at the 2017 Kansas City Fitness Summit. So... Hopefully everybody can hear me. My connection just went a little unstable. And I met them because there were just a couple of guys there. Uh, you know, I met a whole bunch of people who were the speakers. Uh, God, I'm trying to think. There, there are a whole bunch of big names. Spencer Nadolsky just being one of many at this event. Got to meet them. All great people. But a couple of just the other attendees 
turns out, oh, these guys actually run their own conferences. And I happened to attend both of their events twice before I was in turn around and asked to actually be a speaker. And the ambition was not to become a speaker at these events. It was actually something that I was invited to do and then it took on a life of its own. So it again speaks to the fact that the very first thing you said, you know, being patient with the process, uh, you said in this whole thing, not being transactional in your interactions. And I'll kind of close with this point. We, I remember someone in our space who once said that, you know, his industry friends, the other trainer friends were not real friends. And I was sort of like taken aback or like disappointed with that remark. And I do feel like that that individual is maybe a touch more isolated. It's also an individual who I found maybe a smidgen transactional in interactions. Whereas I found great joy in the real friends that I've made through the industry because we see each other at multiple events, uh, text and interact. And oftentimes you and I text about career, industry, frustrations and experiences because we're kind of, you know, you've, you've got a longer legacy of some of this stuff, but we're not in necessarily a dissimilar place in terms of where we are with our careers. So that way, oftentimes there, there may not be a lot of people, quote, locally who are doing some of the same stuff to be able to relate to that particular experience or challenge we're dealing with right now. So and you think about your real friends, your closest friends, especially the last couple of years, haven't necessarily gotten a lot of one-on-one -on -one in-person time with those friends. So why does make it a friend at a fitness conference that you have a lot in common with any different? So I value those relationships and I encourage anyone to, to lean into those things if you connect with someone in an authentic way, not because you stand to gain anything from it. I never looked at it that way, but over the years of these experiences, I can't even believe the great things that have happened. At, again, my any of the connections to writing are because of people like Jeb Stewart Johnson and John Goodman and so many others who I've met in person at these events, right? And the last point, and then I want to have you tell people where they can find you, what you said about editors. I had a conversation with an editor from Muscle and Fitness Magazine a few years ago. And then early in that process, before anything was finalized, that editor left because Muscle and Fitness was sold and the print magazine was mostly shelved. They've done little bits and pieces. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I just missed my opportunity with Muscle and Fitness. Now, two things happened. One is much later on, relationships reconnected me to a new editor at Muscle and Fitness. But separately, I was connected to an editor at Barbend through a friend who wanted to introduce me. Turns out it was the same editor, our pal Andrew Gutman, who was the editor at Muscle and Fitness. So I've since uh, written for Barband and I have a great relationship with Andrew at Barband just because of that initial introduction. Uh, and Andrew's like, yeah, I remember you. And I'm like, yeah, I totally remember you. So that got the ball rolling because I already had some credibility in his eyes. And yeah, that's been my experience. I also missed out on bodybuilding.com because I'd written something for them, paid, they get sold, article doesn't get published. I haven't, I, I've told this in a few places. I have a contributor page on bodybuilding.com if you Google it with no article link. So I don't put that on my website because it doesn't count. It needed to be actually published. So where do people <laughs> find you? Uh, Leeboyce.com. Leeboyce.com is my website. So uh, you can find me there. I just got it redone this year, actually. So it's, uh, it's got a little bit of a facelift, which is good. Um, and you have an archive to all of the articles that I ever write and all of the different things that I do. It's there somewhere, and it's a pretty, uh, pretty 
big as far as like a, the amount of stuff that's in it. Website, there's a lot of stuff there. So there's lots to navigate through. So leevoice.com is a good hub for it all. You could also follow me on uh, social media um, through that website. You can click all the buttons there, but also uh, if you want to just search it straight up through Instagram or whatnot or through Facebook, Coach Lee Boyce is what it is, right? So Coach Lee Boyce for Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I don't do TikTok. I don't do whatever else there is. So that three is enough. Um, and uh, yeah, that's basically it. You can shoot me emails at lee at leeboyce.com if you have any questions. And um, yeah, that's that's how you can really reach out to me. I'm pretty prompt with getting back to people as well, as long as they're not trolls. <laughs> and uh, you know, to further a point that we made with this, so I needed to redo my website um, a while back and you and I have been talking and you referred your web developer to me and he did a great job. I really encourage people to go check out what, he's dud for yours because your website is phenomenal, but I'm so happy with mine. So again, it's, it's another one of those little things that people don't see uh, based on, you know, making friends and, and authentic connections through the industry. So Lee, really appreciate you, my friend. Thank you so much. Uh, as always, if anybody is a longtime listener, I'm guessing most of you guys know Lee, so go follow him, make sure you're checking out what he's doing. And if you happen to be someone who's a little bit newer to me and my format here, because you found me through Lee's media, go check out Lee's previous appearances. Okay. Scroll through. There's the what episode. This is 93. So I think this is your third time on the new format. And then with Guido, there's 150 episodes. I'm pretty sure you're a guest at least twice on the old one. So I think you're creeping up on Brian Cron's record for all time appearances on the podcast. So uh, thanks for coming on brother and uh, everybody listening. I should be stepping right into a recording with uh, Dr. Gabrielle Fundaro. If everything goes according to plan, she'll be next week's episode. Thank you. All right, but...